electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Twitter accepts Elon Musk's $44 billion deal. It is official, it is done, and he is taking it private. What the world's town square will look like on Elon's watch with investor Kevin O'Leary. The challenge is how do you bring back all the people you, you lost by silencing voices indiscriminately? My guess is if we have this conversation again in 12 months, Twitter will be 40% bigger. And Twitter's responsibility with CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt. In a moment, again, when we know that hate is on the rise, Twitter can play an important role in opening up the conversation in a moderate way, which encourages dialogue, but maybe dials down the drama. Today, the buyout details, the free speech quandaries, plus saving in your 401 crypto. Fidelity estimates that there are 80 million U.S. individual investors who own at least some form of a digital currency, and that's pretty significant. It's Tuesday, April 26, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Is this it? Has it happened? There was the 9.2%, the rejected board seat, the 420 jokes, the poison pill, and now has our 22-day international soap opera of Elon Musk and the 206 million daily active user strong social media platform Twitter actually come to its resolution, its happily ever after point. It is official, it is done, and he is taking it private. The world's richest man, Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk, has made a $44 billion offer to buy Twitter and the company accepted. All cash, no rival bid, Twitter will no longer trade on the New York Stock Exchange. It will go private. CEO Parag Argawal said there are no layoffs planned and the company's priorities aren't changing before the deal closes. But after Musk takes over, 
they don't know what direction Twitter may go. For his part, Musk tweeted his intentions for Twitter to be an open platform for free speech, saying, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter, because that's what free speech means. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin got into all of it on this episode of the Days of Elon's Twitter Lives. Here's Joe. What everyone wanted to talk about all along was what it meant for the former president. And I did. I spoke right. to him late yesterday. He had already made some uh, some comments before the deal uh, had actually closed. But he told me the same thing he told other places. He's not. He says he's not going to return uh, to Twitter, even if incoming owner uh, Elon Musk reverses his ban. He said he's going to be on his own platform, Truth Social, uh, within the week. Um, he praised Elon Musk, call him, calling him an excellent individual. Trump was permanently banned, as you know, from Twitter following the attack uh, of the Capitol by his Capitol supporters on my birthday, <laughs> January 26, 2021. Shares of Trump's media and technology group uh, are uh, up $1.79. I said, uh, I don't know, he did, didn't uh, this really wasn't on. What's that? You didn't tell me you talked to him. No, I, it was very brief. I talked to him and. Uh, you know, I didn't know if he would answer. He answered, and uh, I talked at the end a little bit about his hole-in-one. said it was magnificent. I mean, stiff wind. Stiff wind right in his face. Slight fade just to the right. And then, and that's but, how I knew him. I've known him. For, you know, I played golf with him 25 years ago, so I've known him a long time. I did say at one, you know, I, I expected this is what he would say, and I don't know whether he'll ever have the reach on truth social that he has on Twitter. Yeah. So he, I think he has to say what he, what he said yesterday for competitive reasons. But the minute, if this were to not work out through social, I can't imagine that he wouldn't be back on Twitter. There it, were reports because, yesterday that he still watches Twitter, that he still looks at it and is I wouldn't interested be, in it. I, I, wouldn't be, I, said never, I even said never say never. And he goes, no, say never. Say I'm never and I figured he'd, he'd say that. but. I don't know if I really believe that he wouldn't be go go back on. I think I agree with you. Yeah. Might be too. It was a match, Twitter and Trump match made in heaven and hell. You would say, depending on where you sit. In the meantime, billionaire investor Mark Cuban sending his reaction to CNBC, saying, "I think it's going to be an exciting period from now till this deal closes." and more exciting seeing what Elon does when the deal closes. Beyond that, I have no idea what happens once he takes control. And I think it would be, be brilliant for Elon to close the deal, make the changes he wants, and then flip it, the ultimate fixer-upper deal. But I don't see that happening. I think that for at least a few years, he will have fun messing with Twitter and trying things and being the tweeter in chief like i said it will be entertaining to watch this was kind of what is this andrew it's like th these two guys they well you know, this they gotta, is to me no, this is th they got to get the space this is, who's going to get the space first who's going to do who's the richest guy is, is no, this there, is when it gets interesting yeah no this is actually one, one of the most fascinating points of you know, there's been a lot the of questions thing, about yeah. what it means to run a run a run a town square if you are going to single-handedly run the town square, which historically we've we, we haven't wanted individuals to run town squares. But also, what influence individuals will have over that town square, like how much uh, how much Musk will have uh, influence over the town square itself, but how much others might have influence over Musk forcing him to do other things. So it gets interesting. And here's what uh, Jeff Bezos tweeted. He said, interesting question. 
And he, by the way, he was he was forwarding effectively a a note from my, uh, or a tweet from my, uh, Michael Forsyth from the New York Times. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? Referencing another tweet uh, where Mike there had pointed out that China had almost no leverage over the platform after it was banned uh, in 2009. So Twitter is not in China. Um, but uh, that China is the second largest market for Tesla. Bezos then tweeted, my answer to this question is probably not the more likely outcome in this regard is complexity in China for Tesla rather than censorship at Twitter. He later pointed out that Musk is extremely good at navigating this kind of complexity, but nonetheless raising lots of questions. And I think they're reasonable questions to ask, because if, in fact, you know, the Chinese government called him up and said, hey, you know, you're going to have to you are not we're not going to be nice to you about this new plant you want to build because of this crazy stuff you have rolling on Twitter. What, what would he do? You've, I mean, this goes back to all the things we talked while. about when it comes yeah. to politics and Department of Defense, whether it comes to SpaceX or all of the other businesses. That, to me, when people are going to look at this deal, is all the other leverage points that others have over Musk, not the leverage that Musk has over them, mm. makes it very interesting to be running a public, a public town square, as we've been describing. You, you could go down a list of companies that have different issues, but that serious questions are raised about what's going on in China and their response and their reaction and, and what they, oh, when they look the other way uh, for, sure, for what goes on Sure, they look the other China. way. But Major, no, co I mean, that, companies that are much bigger and much more important than Twitter. Yeah, I mean, No, but Disney, that's the point. They're, Nike. A lot of companies do look the other way, Joe. I, I agree know. with you. NBA. And, the, I, and, I mean, and, and are often told, and are often told to shut up about it and not just to shut, about it, shut up, up about it themselves. Sometimes. And but they do shut, shut up. others up, either employees or so the right. like that Houston Rockets guy. It's like and, shut up, Andrew. So, I mean, th this is a valid point that you've made from the beginning. I think the very first day that this was announced, this deal, just the idea of the political pressures that come with owning either a newspaper, a media outlet, or probably to the highest degree a social media network, because it's not just trying to censor right. your employees or something. It's trying to censor millions and millions and millions of people um, and, and being responsible for that. There was an interesting political cartoon, um, a, a bus that they labeled Twitter and a dog with Elon Musk's head on it, riding on the back of it. Okay, you caught the bus, now what do you do with right. it? And I think this is part of that. Well, in the very too. first, you know, drudge, free speech record, sketchy, which we've been, you know, Elon's free speech record, not so much at, at different times in the past with the uh, the There's jet, been lots the of times where he's gone all. after people for lots right. of reasons. So, right. you know, I know everyone talks about free speech and all that. I think it's, look, you know, I admire the guy. I think he's done amazing things. I don't know. This is going to be a great challenge no matter how much of a genius you are. And he, may, he maybe he's going to figure it out. I hope he does. Join us now. Talk more about the future of Twitter. Kevin O'Leary, investor, venture capitalist, and a CNBC contributor. And Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. I want to welcome both of you gentlemen. Just start with, uh, Jonathan, something that the way the, the Wall Street Journal, and I, I, I know, you know people have their own perceptions of that, but uh, it, it will be fascinating to watch Mr. Musk try to break Silicon Valley's culture of progressive conformity. And, and I guess my question to you would be, do you think that, that the way Twitter's content was moderated was fair? And unbiased, 
heretofore and, and there was no problem. I'll just mention one other thing and that is um, a, a employee donations. And I've got every Silicon Valley company down here. Donations to the midterms by party. 98.7% for Twitter to the Democratic Party. So if there wasn't a problem, why do you think Elon Musk decided to take this on? He's just a bad guy who wants to spread hate speech left and right and he was, he was sad that there wasn't enough hate speech around? Or was there an actual reason that he decided to spend that much of his own money in, in what he's saying is, is to try to help free speech? Well, Joe, look, you're a talented investor. And I think you and I both know what all your audience knows. He bought the platform because of the upside. Look, Facebook has 3 billion users. YouTube has 2.2 billion users. TikTok's over a billion users. Twitter clocks in at below 400 million. So I think he looks at this asset, which has been suboptimized for years, and sees a product that he can harness. And look, I deeply admire Elon Musk as an entrepreneur. Who doesn't? What he's done at Tesla, what he's done at SpaceX, what he did at PayPal. And so I look at this situation and think, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want him to bring his extraordinary talent to this company, which needs it. And I would love to see him make it a beacon for the exchange of ideas in the tradition of Athens, right? Or the founding, what the founding fathers intended. What I worry about is it could go the way of Gavin Parler. So he's already said some interesting things, but from about what he plans to do to the product. And we should talk about that because that is material. But this kind of smoke and mirrors that it's all about censorship. I don't know, Joe, from my point of view, my job is to protect the Jewish people and other marginalized communities. And today, ADL released data that showed a 34 percent spike in anti-Jewish incidents last year, literally the highest year on record. And I believe deeply in freedom of expression, but I don't believe in the freedom to incite violence, whether it's, you know, alt-right Nazis or radical anti-Zionists. So what my concern is, and my hope is, is that Elon will do what he can to make the product better for all the users, not resort to this, you know, freedom of speech issue, because it already should be this vibrant, town hall square for all of us to use. I don't know, Jonathan, he's worth, you know, I, I don't know how many yachts he needs to water ski behind. Um, he's already worth $250 billion. No one in their right mind would, with the, the economic performance of Twitter, would buy this that already had $250 billion just trying to make it $260 billion. Just in Tesla alone, he may end up being the first trillionaire. So I, I, I find it highly unlikely that it's totally a, a monetary uh, impetus that has Elon, that, that Elon's thinking about here. Kevin, uh, you have mentioned in the past uh, that, uh, that, that this company has underperformed miserably in terms of stock performance. So it was, uh, it was begging to be told. But we're talking about, uh, you know, at this point today, this is a free speech debate. What, uh, do you think at this point Elon Musk uh, will be better at content moderation that maybe honors both sides a little bit better? I do. I think this this platform has underperformed, as, as you said, been miserable for investors for a decade now. Uh, basically, what happened here is you got your money back after putting it to work and at risk for a decade. And so now that's behind us. 
The board has been put out of their misery. They were abysmal at managing this business. They actually didn't even use it, which I always found incredible. But now the future's open. And so the challenge is how do you bring back all the people you, you lost by silencing voices indiscriminately? That was pretty bad. And so over time, people just left this platform as the advertisers did, because at the end of the day, advertisers come for eyeballs. And you don't have to like the eyeballs. You just need to have the eyeballs. And so what I think could happen here is he'll open it back up, let anybody on it, and then use algorithms like other platforms do to allow you to choose your content. For example, I could point to Wikipedia or LinkedIn and look how civil those platforms are. It's a combination of technology and individuals that monitor it. But in the case of Twitter, Get everybody back on so it's an open cry forum, as it should be. Try and build back the user base. Double it if you can. Because remember, he's put $21 billion of his own money up. That's serious money. And also, you've got to service debt, so you really do need some cash flow from advertisers. And then you can decide, and there's lots of opportunity here. For example, if you enhance the filtration opportunity here so that I can take out, if I'm a Democrat and I don't want to hear from Republicans, I'll filter them out. I'm not saying that's a good idea, but you can use filters to make your content what you want. You decide personally. And ultimately, you don't have to have a Twitter account if you find it offensive. We use the product in our companies because it's starting to get better at what it did in terms of communicating ideas, products, services, and just dialogue. Nothing wrong with that. I would like to see the ability to edit it. You can't do that. It's the only social media platform you can't go back and fix if you made a typo. It seems ridiculous. Kevin, but here's the business question. I agree with you that the, the, the success or failure of this is going to be getting more people back on the platform. How do you do that? And I'm, it's not clear to me that the reason that people are not on the platform is because they are being silenced by uh, some algorithm or you know, young, young staffers at Twitter. It's because there's so much hate on the platform already that you can't go through your mentions without being told you're terrible, uh, without seeing, uh, in certain cases, bigoted information and other ter just terrible things on there already. Already this is the case. And so the question is, when we talk about free speech and opening this up to even more, uh, from a business case, you think about CMOs, they don't want, to, they don't want their corporate message next to uh, some kind of uh, bigoted racist uh, online. Nobody wants that. And I, I'm, I'm unclear how, quote unquote, opening it up where you're going to allow all of the, including misinformation and, and things about whether it's about COVID or who knows what. And I know there's going to be debates about all of that, but that's not why people are not on the platform. In fact, I would argue it's the opposite. You know, Andrew, the platform hasn't really innovated in about four years. The, the feature set has been remained the same, and it's been in a constant debate of the same dialogue you're having about, you know, content that's inappropriate. But with some innovation to make it more interesting, and the very fact that this is now Elon Musk's personal platform is going to bring a lot of people back to it. He has a huge fan base all around the world. And I want to point something out that he did very well. He used this platform instead of advertising on other networks, every single feature of SpaceX and Tesla, everything that happened with those companies has been well-documented over the years on Twitter. He used it as a megaphone for free. But Kevin, he's been doing that all along. Why is that gonna bring more people to the platform? By the way, go back when Trump was on the platform, th this company wasn't doing better. There was no better economics to the business. There actually weren't even more people on the platform. So this idea that like people are canceled and therefore nobody's on the plot, this doesn't make sense. It's like a complete myth to the math. Andrew, if you want to innovate 
and you want more users, you have to do both. You have to make it interesting. And have, Twitter has become very, very boring. It's not, there's not a whole lot new to it. And now you've got someone who can probably say, look, I'm gonna add this feature set. I'm gonna bring more voices on. I'm gonna get a, a public dialogue going and make this far more engaging for people. Because at the end of the day, for all this debate about eyeballs, you need more. It's basically, that's the problem. You can't grow this business without innovating on it and letting everybody on it. Now you will get the lunatic fringe. We might as well admit that two and a half percent will be crazy. That's just the cost of freedom of speech. And that's okay because you can now use technology to filter that out. There's evidence of that. Look, I've already pointed out LinkedIn and, and Wikipedia. They also had that issue. They fixed it. And Twitter can do the same thing. This has become a free platform to speak of ideas, which he's been doing for a long time now. Imagine the only car company on earth that doesn't advertise. Twitter is a big part of communicating the benefit. Why not own it? It's a great outcome for shareholders. It's, a, it's mercy for the board, mercy for shareholders. And now we start a new page. Turn the page, open it up. Let's see what happens. What is wrong with that? Jonathan, uh, just comments about, um, you know, you and Kevin always sort of stake out the, both of these territories in that Kevin says people should be able to see, to see things and decide uh, and, and say, oh, my God, that's awful, but I do want to see it. You, you just think there's certain things that, that you should, should never see the light of day. And, and, but, but, but who decides how to do that? And we know now that the people that were in charge of deciding how to do that, 98.7% went to one or the other party. So I don't want that. I don't, if you could assure me that you're going to have an objective arbiter of what I see, I could do it. But there's just, the way it is right now, it needed, it was broken. And thank God Elon Musk came along. Look, I agree with what Kevin said about the fact that there's a lot of room for growth and a lot of opportunity for innovation. I will make a comment, though, Joe, that I think it is troubling that our public square, if you will, is controlled essentially by Elon Musk and by Mark Zuckerberg. The concentration of media in the hands of two people who aren't accountable to anyone really other than themselves, I think that is something we should be talking about. But put that aside for just a moment. The reality is, I believe Twitter is a product and the company is a publisher. And I do think that in a world where we have freedom of speech, you should have all views. But the freedom of speech, we've talked about this, Joe. It's not the freedom to slander people. I know that Kevin agrees with me on that. So look, Elon has said he's going to open source the algorithm. That could be great to allow people to choose their feeds, if you will. But the default should be down the middle. And again, Nazis and anti-Zionists, put them back on the lunatic fringe, like Kevin said, where they belong, not front and center, where my kids can find them on the product. That's all that we are talking about here. And in a moment, again, when we know that hate is on the rise, I don't say that anecdotally, I say that empirically. Twitter can play an important role, if you will, in opening up the conversation in a moderate way, which again encourages dialogue, but maybe dials down the drama and reimagines re the public square that I think we all want. Liberal, conservative, progressive, libertarian. I'm okay with all the views. It's just the lunatics I want to keep on the fringe. Kevin, you both have the slippery slope argument, I think, and, and that's just the way it's never going to change. You, you, want, you think a, a, the slippery slope Jonathan wants to take you into means that 
you know, a lot of things you don't see. Jonathan thinks you, you see anything and it, it opens up the, uh, the slippery slope to just, you know, Armageddon in terms of hate speech. And, and I don't know how we find something in the middle between you two. Who should decide what you see? You should. It should be your personal decision from the very base of do I need a Twitter account or not? Once you start there, you should decide if my interests are watch collecting and guitars, I want to see more people that have that interest so I can have a dialogue with them. I think we should build that feature set into Twitter so we can get these communities together. An interest that I have. If I'm a, a Democrat or Republican, why can't I talk to others of my party? Nothing wrong with that. Again, not featured there yet. But bottom line is, at the end of the day, and this will be for all social media, Twitter included, it's my decision. I want to decide what I'd like to see and not see. Personally, I want the option myself because that is the essence of the freedom of speech. And I think we're going to go there now. I think what will happen, we're all speculating, we don't know what he's going to do, but those voices that were silenced, they're coming back to Twitter. With all of the controversy and the eyeballs will come back too. Those individuals will come back because they wanna see the person they follow. And whoever that is, you may not like that person, but who cares? It's their decision, an individual decision. My guess is if we have this conversation again in 12 months, Twitter will be 40% bigger because we'll get voices back that have been lost that should still be there. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wonderful. And uh, Jonathan, thanks. Good to have you on uh, this morning. We'll see. We'll, we'll do this again. Thank you. Unless they get rid of all the bots, in which case it'll be 40% smaller. More Squawk Pod coming up right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Dorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. If you are a Bitcoin bull, you might like this news. Fidelity Investments plan to allow investors to put a Bitcoin account in their 401ks, the first major retirement plan provider to do so. It'll be up to employers that use Fidelity to decide whether to put Bitcoin on the menu of options under the plan Fidelity would allow savers to allocate as much as 20% of their retirement savings to Bitcoin. The company expects to expand offerings to other digital assets in the future. The price of Bitcoin uh, right now is uh, $40,493. It had been at $38,000 just yesterday. So uh, maybe moving a little bit on that news. Um, pretty amazing. I don't know if I want 
up to 20%. But I imagine employers might might control that. I mean, it's A, whether it's on the menu unto itself, and then B, how much you could put in. It's got we'll a long way to go, as pointed out in, in some detail. With what the Labor Department has issued guidelines that make it very difficult for employers to CYA uh, if they were to do this. It says extreme caution, extreme, exercise extreme care before consider uh, before they consider uh, adding a crypto option to 401k plans. If they do so, they could expect regulators to ask questions like, how the hell do your duties of prudence and loyalty, with that guidance from the Labor Department, how do you square that? Well, if and it'd be if very, very difficult. you lose a lot of money in it, you might be on the hook you at would. that point for making them whole. And Bitcoin, which has soared, depending on when you got into it, is down, what, 40% from its highs? Yeah. So I mean, it's the, you're talking about a pretty volatile move. However, this story in the Wall Street Journal does point out just how mainstream this has become. I think Fidelity estimates that there are 80 million U.S. individual investors who at lo- own at least some form of, of a digital currency, and that's that's pretty significant. Well, it, it, the Labor Department guidance is so, I, I don't know, prohibitive that Fidelity, along right. with other trade groups, have asked, have written to the Labor Department asking to withdraw that that comment, that guidance. So I don't know how, well, how you know, widespread it, the adoption could be. Abigail Johnson, who runs Fidelity, has been one of the. She was an early crypto yeah. and Bitcoin bull, so she's she's long. I mean, and she's been running Fidelity. I think they've been wanting to do something like this for a long time. Also, well, curious Fidelity's to had know, a trading platform for this since 2018, yeah, so right. they did get into this what, pretty early. But what the what the fee structure would be? I imagine it might be a higher mm-hmm. fee on on buying and selling Bitcoin. Well, that's cynical. One of the fascinating things yep. that actually Warren Buffett um, has mentioned over the years, I think, Becky, is some of the 401k plans that ha- that charge high fees, charge low fees to the company, meaning high fees onto you, the individual, low fees on right. the company. The ones with low fees for the individuals usually charge high fees to the company. So it'd be very interesting right. to see what companies are willing to pay for this option, I mean, if in f- fact that's f- how it's structured. Fidelity is a behemoth, and it just in 401k assets, 2.7 trillion yeah. in assets under administration. And they do have, you know, they're, they're kind of crypto friendly, but uh, they're, they're kind of ahead of, of regulators, uh, regulators were in the Labor Department. We'll see. And, and you make the fair point, you know, this is gonna be up to employers as to whether or not they wanna right. go ahead to have with it. That's a wrap for Squawk Pod today, but time for some announcements. This Saturday, April 30th, is the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Shareholder Meeting. It's back in person in Omaha. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger will take the stage in an event that will be live-streamed only on CNBC.com. It's the first time we'll be bringing you this live access of what they call Woodstock for Capitalists. So, Saturday morning, get up, make some coffee, and go to CNBC.com slash Buffett. That's CNBC.com slash Buffett. Two F's, two T's, starting at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll catch Becky Quick hosting a pregame show, a halftime show, hours of questions from Berkshire shareholders, lots of great stuff for Buffettologists and beyond. Plus, another announcement, our podcast, A Wealth of Wisdom, featuring an interview with Warren Buffett and Berkshire Vice Chair Charlie Munger, reflecting on their decades-long friendship and business partnership. It received an honorable mention in the 2022 Webby Awards. Thank you to the Webbies for that honor. If you follow us on Twitter, at Squawk CNBC, we'll tweet out a link to that episode so you can catch up before this weekend's festivities. Okay, that's it. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern or listen to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.